All right, welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. I just want to go through some of the things that might help you with your visions. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome into Vision Pros Live. I'm your host, Jackson Callum. A big shout out to our sponsors, Epiphany and Able Health. I'm going to make that quick today. We're going to move right into the water project. It's one that I love to talk about the most. Everybody knows that. Rick and Dr. Seth Yates also know that at their respective companies. I don't know why. It just hit me hard right now. I know there's so many people on this earth who don't have access to clean drinking water, and that just kind of like tears me up. It's like, man, why can't we make more time in our life and dedicate a little bit more resources to helping? people who are missing out on the most basic needs. The water project's a great thing to check out. Go and give a dollar to it. I mean, let's make sure that we're doing our part to lift those up in the world who don't have access to the same resources that we do. Now, without further ado, I'm going to bring on a guest named David Ramos. And David is also one of those resources that brings, in my opinion, the living waters, so to speak, waters that can help you with your brand. Things about research, things about not trends, but he calls them threads. Uh, ways to connect with the market in ways that you're likely overlooking, you and me both. I caught some flaws in my own marketing as I was just reading through one of his super extensive posts on finances and the, the not the trends, again, the threads that are happening behind the scenes. He's very great at research. That comes from years of working behind the scenes with professors um, at university for more than 10 years. And also he's got two master's degrees one of which he earned in less than 100 days, which I think is pretty cool. And he's done SEO for a, an enterprise company that he had a half a million dollar budget to compete with multi-billion dollar companies on SEO and content creation. And in addition to that, he's also had a YouTube channel where he was teaching people and probably other channels. Let me not, let me not box him in too much, but he's doing tutorials on a software called Kajabi, which, which was able to help him make over $40,000 on those tutorials. And he's got this simplicity about his style and how he teaches that I hope that you appreciate as much as I do. And I'm really excited to bring him on and pick his brain about how he's gotten to where he's at and how all of these subjects can tie back to what you're doing with your vision today. So without further ado, David, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm glad we finally got to catch up. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jackson. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So here's our background story, guys. When we were at the Kajabi event, Kajabi had just launched this, uh, well, for me, I was new to it. I was what I call a Kajabi hermit. And I hadn't <laughs> known about the community. And so I get into this community and they gamified it. So people are connecting. And, and then there was a couple of people who said, Jackson, you need to meet David. Um, you know, and you guys, you guys got to catch up with each other. And so at the conference, somebody pulled me and a David together and I thought I met him. <laughs> I did. I met the, I met the wrong, but the right David, another David. And this is our actual first like interaction that lasted longer than 15 seconds, probably. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to have you here. Like I said, I, I read through your article on the financial landscape and what's going on. And I was just like, whoa, this guy has maintained what he's learned from his master's degree and is actually actually like applying it in the real world of research. So how does that relate to entrepreneurs who should be listening right now? Why should they listen to you? And what are they going to get out of today's discussion with me? So I think the people who should be listening today feel like the market that they want to enter 
is too crowded for what they want to do. Mm. And so what I'm hoping to show them by the end of this episode is that that's not true, that there is plentiful opportunity out there and that the opportunity that's right for you likely hasn't even been tapped yet. Mm. Awesome. And so one of the things that you shared with me on that, I think you hit it right at the beginning of that, but I'm going to reiterate it. Going all in on your thing. I love the way that you talk about that. Uh, what I get out of that is I got to own the value that I know that I have mm -hmm. and not allow the world to distract me from that value or tell me that that value is not good enough. What, exactly. Can you speak to that? The way you word it is perfect. So a phrase I throw around a lot is that you don't need to find your next big thing. You need to make your thing big. Mm -hmm. And so the context that makes that true is that A, what is the value you bring just need to be connected with the right audience and it needs to be packaged in the right way. And there's lots of ways to do that. And so often we limit what we're trying to do so that it fits a pre-made mold of what we've already seen done. And there's a lot of issues with that just because you're not like the people who are probably doing the thing that you wanna do in the way that they're doing it. You are your own person, you have your own background, unique molding of skills. And so what I'm trying to do with my writing and research and the companies I've supported is just saying, hey, let's take the pieces that you do have and find a way to assemble them to match what the market needs instead of constantly going out and trying to add to the already full bucket that you have. I love that. So you're saying that if I shoot the basketball, just like LeBron James does, I might not get the same results that LeBron has. Exactly. Right. But and you might ahead. be the perfect person to teach people in your community how to shoot the basketball like LeBron does, because they're never going to get a chance to meet LeBron. But maybe you have a unique way of understanding his skill set and then translate that and so on. But that's just a way of like bridging the gap. That's something I try to do. Well said. And so we're talking about the virtue and value of modeling, um, right, of, of learning from those who go before us, but also making sure that we create space for what it is we're meant to do. How do you do that? How, you know, let's say that there's people listening right now who you're an entrepreneur. You think you're on the right track. You know, you might you might feel that way and you've been subject to many opinions out there, mm -hmm. um, you know, and maybe you've made shifts that you're subconsciously unaware of. And so how do you open somebody's mind and heart to realizing that in a way that's safe mm -hmm. and allows them to, to really latch on to that concept and, and run with their big thing? Yeah. Yeah. You're asking the hard questions. These are questions <laughs> I, I wrestle with myself. For me, that's why I'm like, let me put them on David. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I can speak to what has worked to me yeah. is that I have a few core things of how I want to spend my day and the types of people I want to help. And so I have tried to build a business that incentivizes those two things. So I've tried to build a business that A, incentivizes me to write deeply because that's what I enjoy and incentivizes me to work with solopreneurs, the creator economy, and so on, because those are the people I want to spend time with. And so there are ways I could monetize my writing and research that are very valuable outside of those two domains, but I would be incentivized to not work with those people or to not do my own writing and so on. And so I think for those of you who might be stuck in this rut, we're like, I know I can make money in this way, but this isn't how I want to spend my time. This is how I want to spend my time. Well, you need to spend more brain power figuring out how can you incentivize yourself so that you are pushed to spend time that way and able to monetize it in a way that also satisfies others. There, that you have to go into it with the belief that that exists. I did not always have that belief, you know, 
you know, mm. you, I, my undergrad was in classical and medieval studies. So a degree oh. that you tell people you got a degree in that and they're like, oh, okay. So you're going to be, you know, a garbage man or, you know, these jobs <laughs> that maybe, you know, there's not really a clear path in what you do with classical studies. I would like, have guessed librarian. Yeah. Um. Yeah, exactly. I, and so I went into my career believing I'm not going to be able to make money writing. Like that's probably not going to happen. So I need to find other ways to make money. And so here I am, you know, 15 years later, oh, I can actually make a lot of money writing. I, that was just a belief I had to change and then incentivize the model to charge that. Dude, well said. It reminds me of an old friend of mine. I haven't talked in almost eight to 10 years, Tom Ritchie. Mm. Um, Tom Ritchie has a YouTube channel. I, I hope he still has it. I was working with Video Power at the time and he had just crossed the line with them of making more money through his YouTube channel, teaching AP US history nice. through YouTube than he did as a teacher. Nice. Um, and so he was on the, you know, he was on the super high, of course, of like, <laughs> wow, cool, like, this is real and I can inspire others to do this and stuff. And that's incredible. And so, you know, he, he reminds me again of what you're talking about, being able to take what others have said, no, that's not possible. No, you're not going to be able to do that. And he took his big thing and he put it online and he made it happen. And so I'm going to shift personally here. David, what is your vision? Normally we put a 15 seconds on this, but what's your vision for you moving forward? That's a great question. So my vision for me is to create a market research resource for the creator economy. So if you are a person who is learning how to build something online and monetize it, you're going to find the answers that you need in what I create. That's I love it. it. Okay. And so the creators that I know out there, they, they don't usually have the gift of research, mm -hmm. um, right? That is something <laughs> that most people don't understand. Or um, enjoy. <laughs> or enjoy, right. Yeah. And so if you don't enjoy it, um, then you're not going to want to do it. Right. And if you don't understand it, then it's just going to make you, it's going to make you feel bottlenecked and trapped. And exactly. at the same time, that's probably one of the greatest, I don't even think it's a kept secret. I think it's one of the greatest tactics, strategies, realizations that Mr. Beast knows, mm -hmm. Mark Rober knows, mm -hmm. um, anybody you can think of, whoever your favorite YouTube celebrities are, influencers out there that have grown, they are kings and queens. Mm -hmm. of research in many in many respects um so what are some of the what are some of the bite-size ways that let's talk about the vision for those you serve how do they start diving into doing research the right way or understanding what the value is of what you do absolutely so i think the core of that message so why would you even bother doing research in the first place is that you don't need to find the next big thing you just need to go all in on your thing so that acts as a filter to say, okay, I'm not entering the internet space to find answers to a million questions. I have one question. I want to make this business model work. I want to make this website a success. Okay, now how do I start from there? So right off the bat, if I'm going to give two tactical tips, um, one thing that I know most people never engage with because it's still kind of a, a relatively new area is called audience research. So the tool called SparkToro and super useful if you are entering a niche and don't have a good you know, grasp of what that landscape looks like. So a tool like SparkToro will give you, you know, enter a keyword like creator economy, for example. 
and I'm going to see the top 100 podcasts, the top 100 Twitter accounts, the top 100 Facebook influencers and Instagram influencers. I'm going to see what websites people visit the most. And so that's going to be a great starting point to be like, okay, who do I need to follow? Who do I need to talk to? What topics are they talking about? What hashtags are trending? And so that's just going to give me the data I need to start creating what I call a revenue-driven content strategy. So I'm going to understand what am I, you know, ultimately, what am I going to charge for and then work backwards? What are people interested in? And then build that bridge. Oh, that's fantastic. I, uh, I was, I was being a nerd the other night. It was like two (laughs) in the morning. I should have gone to bed. Um, And I was, I wanted to watch a movie. I ended up watching some YouTube on expanding, like how to use Twitter. Um, nice. or something like that so i'm diving in and they brought spark tour up as well mm-hmm. um and i got to see that you know how they were using it to enhance their tr- their twitter strategy um and i was like wow cool um so i took some screenshots rather some pictures of my tv and and started sending them over to the team so i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned i've seen it too i was like wow this is actually a really cool tool i hadn't i hadn't explored that one yet nice. um so yeah dive in play with it um you know get get familiar with the different type of tools you have out there. And you said revenue-driven content strategy, words that are not combined often enough (laughs) in the marketplace. Exactly. Um, You know, Detail Publishing calls it um, profitable publishing, Mm. Um, right? Again, two words that should be combined more often um, than they are in terms of strategy. So revenue-driven content strategy. What does that, uh, what does that look like in the creator economy? Um, You know, how, how are people going about doing that? Yeah, a few things. One of my like core beliefs that I think people can miss because it's not the loudest voice in the room is that authority is more valuable than virality. So we see a lot of viral creators or sites and so on getting millions of views, millions of page views, so on and so forth. What we don't see on the back end is that a lot of these people have a lot of difficulty capturing that value. So I personally know TikTok people with 200, 250,000 followers on that platform who struggle to clear $100 a month just because they don't have a clear way of capturing the value of that audience. Um, And then I just read like in the SEO world, there was this um, basically website about classical music. You know, not a very big website, got maybe 60,000 page views a month. for context, most large websites you know are getting several million. Yeah, and several so this, million. So yeah. my website might be getting about a hundred, um, <laughs> right? And everybody yeah. else out there, you know, that's listening is probably getting a couple thousand. But at sixty thousand, you are not you're not crushing it. No, um, you're not crushing. You know, not from a not from a virality standpoint. As, right. as big as that may feel, yeah. just kind of helping you see over the horizon. That does mm-hmm. not mean instant millionaire status. No. Uh, but, but you're making a great point about authority yeah, right now. Yeah, because so. they just got acquired for a several seven-figure deal because yeah. of the authority they've established in that space. And so, you know, when I think about helping people build a revenue-driven content strategy, what I'm helping them understand is that first goal is authority. You want to, you don't need to be the biggest name in the space. You need to be one of the most trusted. And one of the easiest ways to do that is use a tool like Ahrefs or SEMrush Find the top 50, top 100 most asked questions in your niche and just spend time answering them. Each one in depth, doesn't matter if it's been answered 
by a thousand others, right? It hasn't been answered by you. It hasn't been answered right. in the way you see that topic. And so these are like those core foundational tips that once you do that, you're, you're going to stand head and shoulders above the rest. And they're so simple that people are like, why am I going to waste my time? And like, I have a shoe business and like how to tie your shoes. I'm not going to write an article about that. No, you should. You should make a video, write an article. These things are little droplets of trust that build up over time. Whoa. Blew my mind. Okay. It's written right here, guys. Homework, <laughs> right? Homework. Top 100 questions by SEMrush. You mentioned one other platform. What was it? Uh, Hrefs. So Ahrefs. It's, people say it different ways, but A-H-R-E-F-S. If, if you basically, if SEMrush sure. had like a nerdy cousin, that's who it would be. <laughs> and so people in the SEO space are very passionate about which one they use. I'm an Hrefs guy over SEMrush, but they're both shows sure. how long I've been out of the SEO game. Um, so <laughs> there, there's that. I got guys like you to help me with that. Um, so, but that's, and you just, you just did, you just uh, threw it down. So we, we like to teach similar concept and that is mm-hmm. make sure you're paying attention to the frequently asked questions, exactly. right? And you have that list. Your frequently asked questions. What people ask most frequently are also called your buyer's questions, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that if you can get those addressed on the front end before somebody talks to you, that builds that ability for them to start to know you and to start to like you. And like, like David's talking about, then you start to establish trust when they say, wow, that resonates with me, the way that you said it, the way that you framed it combined with your other questions and answers, it allows people to feel much more comfortable um, deciding they want to, they want to work with you. Yes. With like, that's a perfect example. So one of the stories I like to tell people is there's a pool company I can't remember the exact name. It's very well known in the space, but he was one of the first chains to use SEO to grow his neighborhood pool business. And so he, you know, created a bunch of articles over two years and started to see sales like really pick up. And then one day he had a guy come in and, you know, go through his Google analytics with him. He was like, Hey, do you know how much content people are consuming before they schedule a call to talk about the pool? He was like, well, my articles are like really in depth, you know, that's like two, 3000 words each about some fact. And so they went and they looked at the analytics and he was assuming people are going to read two to three articles and schedule a call. The analyst guy showed they're reading 47 on average. So (laughs) we underestimate the volume of content we need to have the success we're after. And like, that's such a clear example. I try to tell people like, you, you need more content for people to expose to before they have that trust, before they're going to have that action. And so you answering 50 to 100 questions is just a baseline of getting people to even take that first step with you, whatever that Dude, may be. You're hitting it. And I don't know whether to call it a trend or a thread. You can educate me as we go. Sure. <laughs> um, but I would say one of the things that I've noticed, one of my hypotheses is that has exponentially risen since mm. covid Mm-hmm. Again, not to beat the COVID ho- horse to death, um, that's done. But people became more isolated, mm-hmm. less likely to engage with each other, masked up. Like, I'm the guy who loves to say hi to people, but <laughs> it was awkward when you're under a mask and when yes. other people are. So um, what we're seeing on our side from a sales standpoint is that people are coming in due to automation, due to COVID, due to who knows what else, far more apprehensive and not ready to engage in a one-on-one conversation. Have you been doing any research in that space yet? That's a great, that is a great, I have not, 
I don't have hard data to show for that, but like just in a, so. in a baseline, like I agree from what I've seen too. I think there is a clear before and after for COVID in terms of what sites have been successful and what sites haven't been. And I think, you know, we, we touched on briefly my article on finance, personal finance. There's a clear before and that after. That article is mind-blowingly. Thank you. Like, Thank I you. loved it. I was like, this yeah. is so good. So I mean, if you can pull that up, that'd be great. Yeah. For people who haven't read that, let me give you the TLDR. So basically, within the last three years, the top 10 personal finance sites have lost anywhere from 60 to 80% of their overall traffic. And what Say am I- Say that again. Say that one yeah. more time. Sure. So over the last three years, the top 10 personal finance blogs have lost anywhere from 60 to 80% of their overall traffic. Oh, that's massive. So, that's you know, so we're, we're talking about revenue. We're talking about several million dollars in loss for each one, probably. And so one of my beliefs is that attention doesn't disappear. It's just reallocated. And so I went looking for where that attention went. We're talking about five, 10 million questions a month not being answered by the same people that they were four years ago. They're being answered by someone else. And so what I found was a lot of this attention shifted to social media influencers and also small blogs who are more focused on the lower end of the economic spectrum. So people are struggling financially and that's reflected in the types of questions they're asking. And so there's this huge opportunity for traditional fine, personal finance to just adjust the way and the topics they addressed and then get some you of that interest. I'm going to pick on you for that one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead though. Um, yeah, but I like, and there's lots of opportunities like that. Like every time there's a change or you see attention leaving one platform, it's going somewhere else. Something's happening and there's an opportunity there. There is. And, and so is that something that you guide people through? I'm, I, I felt it's like a leading question, but like if somebody wanted to hire you to help with the research process um, right. and all of assessing that, is that, are you on the market for that or? Uh, I am not currently. <laughs> I okay. definitely get the question a lot, but right now my focus is on writing this type of research so that I can reach a broader audience. I think, yeah. you know, the, when I have done freelance SEO work in the past, we're talking several thousand dollars per engagement, you know, on a long-term contract. And most people can't hire me for that, you know, most sure. starting entrepreneurs don't have four grand to help me come in and help them get started on the right direction. Right. Um, but a lot of them do have several hundred dollars to read something that can help them avoid a lot of mistakes and save a lot of time. Nice. Okay. So are you working on the scalable model of you right now? Yes, a hundred percent. So okay. I am, you know, Good. I am creating two assets right now that I'm hoping will lead to more down the road. I'm creating a weekly newsletter it's called Class Notes. It's basically a byproduct of the long form essays and reports that I'm writing. So I'm trying to remember what the, the last one was about. I've been writing them all week. Um, so the first one was about creators versus users on a platform. And so, you mm-hmm. know, we all hear about like, oh, Instagram has X amount of users or TikTok just surpassed right. a billion users. Um, but in terms of actual audience growth and interaction and engagement, that number means nothing for most people. True. What matters are the people who are actually posting videos, adding comments, interacting. Because if you're trying to build an audience, get customers and stuff, you want people who are actually using the platform to do something because then you're more likely to connect and build that relationship and so on. And so right. that newsletter, and then every week, it's basically diving into some small aspect from the, 
larger reports and hopefully giving people an actionable tip. So yeah, and then the reports are once a month, deep dives into something related to the creator economy that's a clear gap for people to exploit. Okay. Do people have the opportunity to uh, like, you have like a poll or something that helps guide what you're going <laughs> to talk next? about? My, my poll right now is just LinkedIn direct messages. I probably get like 20 or 30 a day and just lots of conversations and the, the conversations the people that, that are keep listening happening. can reach you there on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're cool with that. Yeah, um, I'm cool and, with that. So send me a message and ask you for things and all exactly. that. <laughs> yeah. Cause I have, I have a notion doc right now with probably the next, I don't know, maybe 50 or so ideas that I have. Um, and those come straight from questions people have asked me. I have one for you, if that's okay. And Absolutely. This is cool. I got that VIP seat yes, um, you do. <laughs> for this process uh, just by hosting you. So um, I've got a client um, and uh, her name's Jennifer. She's got a book program called Music Helps Me Learn. And it's oh. helping uh, in infants, um, toddlers, two to three, actually learn to read. Um, I'll learn the, the basic precepts of reading at those stages through the music and the book combination, right? Now, um, I'm asking partly just as a nerdy scientist guy too, like, okay, I've seen a shift take place with COVID and kids as well. Um, yeah. You know, my child was born during during oh, COVID. Congratulations. Um, thank you. My, my fourth. And so there, and I've got four kids, three that were older. Um, social skills were certainly affected, you know, by the enclosure that took place. Um, and then you've got, I've got one child who grew up watching everybody with masks, you know, for <laughs> the first two years of her life. Yeah. And what types of educational research trends would we likely overlook? You know, there's the basics. We can Google stuff. We can ask people, um, yeah. you know, but what are some of the things that deeper dives that you would say, Jackson, don't forget to do this. Jennifer, don't forget to take a look at this. Yeah. As we make sure that we're we're preparing them to get those books into uh, daycares um, and mm -hmm. of course into the hands of moms and dads too, to, to engage with their their children and you know, what would we do to make sure we're up to the speed with your research styles? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions to, to offshoot on that. So a few questions I might start with are, you know, what kind of, is this children of all abilities who are going to be able to read with this program? Is it specializing in children who might have more difficulties than others? Is it children on the other side of the spectrum who have already shown some advanced, um, you know, skill sets? So I think that'd be a question. So we can kind of help narrow that down. Um, another question would be the age range of those children to get really specific down to the, you know, are we talking about down infants? Of the month. Yeah, down like, to the month. Exactly. Right. Like six, like 12 to 18 month, month 14, month 15. Like where, where are we talking about? And then um, from there, a uh, question I might go next to is, okay, who are the influencers for the children at that stage? You know, what YouTube channels are they watching just to get an idea of how does that entertainment style influence the product that you're making? Like, and then who are the influencers for the parent who are the target market, whether or not that, whether or not their content is parenting related. I think that's important. People get stuck thinking, Oh, I'm selling a book to parents. I have to find other parenting blogs. You could find cooking blogs that, specifically targeted to budget-minded parents. They're probably in a budget because they just added a fourth kid. And now they're trying to understand, you know, food bills went up a little bit. How do I do Always on a budget yeah. when you have children. Always. Exactly. <laughs> or exercise blogs that focus on, you know, mothers post 
pregnancy who are trying to get their body back, like that's a niche. Um, and so I would think about the areas that serve that, that aren't directly related. And then from there, I'd probably do some of that top hundred questions we've talked about. What are the questions people have when they're trying to get their infants to read early? It sounds like a problem that people have been facing for a long time. How can we address those questions in some way, shape or form through social media, blog content, so on and so forth. And then also use those questions to inform our marketing. Um, and nice. so, yeah, I feel like that's a good starting point. And then you just kind of follow the threads from there. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, once you've defined that audience more clearly, then it's much easier to go about figuring out what the questions are that they right. have. If you start too broad, um, you know, to begin with, right. um, then the questions you're, you're getting, you know, it's not, 100 questions may sound like a lot. But it's amazing how fast, um, you know, you, you, you can, you can have 100 questions about Scott's toilet paper. Yes. You know, yes. like that one, that one roll of toilet paper, you can come up with a hundred questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if so, you, if you spend a day, one answer, one question a day in depth, right. In three months, you could have the most authoritative site or social platform for that topic. It's, we're not talking about three years of development. We're talking about, you know, a fast. Right. Um, I'm with you on that because, and it, it really, it's symptomatic. Maybe that's not the word, but it's representative, representative of the market we live in, um, right. which doesn't tend to gravitate towards, I, I would say a lot of the market is manipulating authority. Yeah. That's I don't great. know if that's fair to say, but that's what I would say is I see a lot of manipulation of the market taking place where people are, are demanding that they have authority or trying to force the issue of authority rather than actually doing the research that gives them strength without force, right? The ability to be strong without making it so boldly well known. I don't know. How would you frame that? I feel like you're on the right track. The authority is something earned, not taken. And so when you, you know, this is why people often hate on paid advertising because, you know, it obviously makes money, but people don't always like to be sold that way. But yeah. give a blog that they've been reading for a year, they'll pay for your course in a heartbeat because you've earned that. And so obviously, like there's a big time difference there and so on. But the more you can do to be that trusted figure and show up more often and, you know, that authority is like it pays the bills. <laughs> like, Dude. The more you I love that. that. So we, yeah. we actually, you and I get to combine now on a contrarian notion, um, which is that of advertising. Yeah. Uh, you, you describe advertising as most people know it. That's the problem is when people are trying to advertise in a way that sells and convinces. Right. Um, Elon Musk just last week uh, posted, maybe, maybe it's been two weeks. My weeks go super fast, but he posted uh, about an ad done by Vogue mm -hmm. that blew his mind. Um, and, Keep in mind, Elon Musk does not advertise. Right. They have zero budget, zero advertising budget at Tesla. Um, they've done everything through PR marketing um, and media. Like that's mm -hmm. how they choose to grow. What he was talking about was when you use, when you utilize advertising with the same respectful constraints mm -hmm. that a natural conversation, that an authentic, like you said, uh, what did you say about authority? You said it really clearly. I loved it. It's uh, earned. That it's earned, not taken. It's earned, not taken when it's proper authority. That's pro that's authority that's going to last, exactly. um, right? And that people have a respect for. And so that's ultimately what he did by posting that tweet about mm -hmm. that particular ad. He was like, whoa, like this really 
pulls at the heartstrings here and provides a depth of value that makes it super successful. So my challenge to entrepreneurs would be the the thing that has changed, the, the unique mechanism that has changed is 20 years ago, you had to spend a ton of money in advertising in order to test that medium. And you had to throw the whole kitchen sink at it. Nowadays, you can spend a few dollars. Mm-hmm. And on those few dollars, you can test your message on an audience that's designed to hate you. <laughs> because they hate ads. Mm-hmm. So if you can test that on an audience that's designed to preemptively not like what you say and they like it, that's indicative of how powerful that message will be with your warm audience. Exactly. And so you can leverage both mm-hmm. to then be able to say, okay, well, let me test on a market that, you know, let me not offend my existing market by testing something. Let me do some more research on an unknown market and then let me bring that message to those who lovingly follow me on a regular basis exactly. and gift them with the treasure that I've created. No, so. I I think it is not the smartest path that a lot of solopreneurs use it as a badge of honor that they've never paid to grow. Yeah. And, you know, as a guy- One of the biggest indicators to me that they're not growing. Exactly. Like as a guy <laughs> who specializes like, oh, well, in organic growth, I super value it. I know how to play this game well. And that's why I spend most of my time and money in the arena where I know I can win. Um, but I also know, you know, that it takes me a while to win. I can win big, but it's going to take me a time horizon that some people aren't comfortable with. And ads can shorten that. Oh, man. Uh, let's go back to your subject, too, on this. Badge of honor. One of the badge of honors that I hear often is my business grows through referrals. Yeah. Um, you know, I get a ton of referrals. And the opposite view of that is, well, wait a second. That means you're not good at converting strangers Ooh. to buy from you. Um, you know, like that's if you're that's only good. good at referrals, like you may have become great at that, but you're ignoring your ability to influence right. the strangers out there, which means your content mm-hmm. isn't great online. It's not attracting mm-hmm. anybody and you're underserving your existing market and your referral market, but not fixing that. Right. So back to your subject too, both of those matters come, come into hand. I wish more people understood the value of great content. I don't think content's yes. king. I think great content. Nice. is king um so what else would you like to um you know what I, in fact no i have one more pointed question yeah you do all this research um you know sometimes researchers are looked at as mad scientists who aren't <laughs> very personable yet you're doing this research with your audience in mind um yeah. you know thinking of the market um yes. is this a nurture play um are you have a nurture nature or is this more like you just love the data i'm just kidding <laughs> Ah, that's a great question. So so circling back to like our very first question, like when I worked in higher ed and I wanted to be a professor, like my my dream day is reading about nerdy things and then helping people understand and apply that. Like that's my dream day. Cool. And so, you know, when people are like, oh, how do you get good at research and stuff like and writing and all that? Well, first of all, I enjoy it. So it's not like, that I'm outworking the other people in my niche because I can work on this for eight, 10 hours a day. And I'm just as thrilled the next day to get up and do it again. And so right there, there's an advantage. And then the fact that I can give this to people and then they can actually grow their business and make money. And what I've seen like, oh, this light bulb comes on. I didn't know that that's a technique or strategy I should be applying to my thing. Um, that's just, you know, there is no like, 
secret end to what I'm doing. The the end is the incentivize that I want to do this for people and I want to see them win with it. And that's just going to make me better at what I do. And so why do I care? You know, it's because I enjoy, I'm selfishly, I really yeah. enjoy winning and I want to prove to people that my ideas work and I prove them by helping them win. So it's yes. a win-win all around. It is. Well, and you, na- you nailed something that is hard for people to figure out and that you said, you get satisfaction out of seeing that light bulb mm-hmm. go on too in their head. So there is a part of you that's unselfish in that. And you're like, yes. you, you know, you see it and you feel it. And it, yes, you, it, it's, it's all, it's that win-win mentality. It's that mm-hmm. the more you give, the more you get. Right. Um, so where did, uh, where did, do you remember your first couple light bulb moments with people um, that, do you want to share any of those stories? That's, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, Man, I've had a lot of light bulb moments over the years. They're growing exponentially at this yeah. point. I mean, so we talked a little bit. So I have two masters. And so the second one I did because I heard, I discovered something called competency-based learning. I thought it was interesting. And so I did my second master's degree in 84 days, which to most people sounds ridiculous because master's degrees take at least a year and all this money and so on. Um, But there's models of accredited programs that are different than other ones. And so I started telling other people who were thinking about going back to grad school, like, oh, you don't need to pay $30,000 and take two years of your life. Find a school that's competency-based. And you could see them going like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, you know, this, they've never, they've never seen that before. Um, And then same thing for when I started doing SEO work for SaaS companies. Um, you know, a lot of them felt like they had to compete with the HubSpots of the world to get an audience and gain, you know, traction for whatever their project was. And so I did um, some like very light consulting with these people, like usually the entrepreneurs, maybe they had a team of one or two already other engineers. And so I would just give them, hey, like, here's the first 10 articles you write for your about your project. Just this is, this is it. Just do this and you'll see traffic. And you could just see like their face go, but that's it. Like that's, that's it. I'm like, yeah, like we don't need to recreate the wheel. Like you don't need to compete at level 10 when you're a level one company, you compete with your arena and then you move up slowly. And so I, I really like, I think kind of the common thread in both of those examples is just, um, the simplicity, like we overcomplicate so many things. And I think what research has shown me is that, you know, the overcomplication is usually there to make a buck somewhere down the road. So mm-hmm. I try to come in and say, no, 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 like it is, this is the option that most people know about because they're making the most money and making sure they're the loudest voice in the room. But the simpler options are almost always there for almost any category you're looking at. Wow. That's awesome. And you, you mentioned competency-based education. If you have children out there, this is something to probably be um, be aware of. Um, I, I might be getting this concept wrong, but it reminds me of the movie August Rush. Um, mm. I, I saw when I was a teenager, this kid basically goes to Juilliard as a child prodigy of music. And Robin Williams is this homeless guy that's got his own like musician stuff. And he goes in there and he starts yelling at the Juilliard people like you're trying you're going to destroy this kid's musical talent by trying to fit him in a box, Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus allowing him to explore and express himself. Now, how does that tie into competency based education? If I'm correct, you're saying that if we took a kid that had that type of talent, 
or we took a coder who's dedicated himself throughout teen his teenage years to being able to code really well, there's a fast track exactly. to be able to help them get the degree to showcase I'm already at this level. Right. Um, and then build beyond that. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes, because oh, cool. education should be about skill acquisition, not time that's spent in build, a chair. That's got to be on the growth trend right now with the way that education is right. being crushed by online education resources and online courses and all that. Yes. Um, I imagine that's on the rise. Is that correct too? Yeah. So what a, like one of my pet peeves and actually my next research article is going to be about online education um, is that there's just this gap. There's so many things that higher education doesn't do and also that online courses don't do. And there's just this giant thing online that says, hey, if we could make an online education system that was as valued as a higher education degree and as simple and affordable as online courses, like the game would be over for several years because yes. they would win so big. And like that's winning with a big B in terms of they're probably gonna be a billion dollar company. There's right. a lot of ways for individual course creators and so on to come in and pick away at the opportunities that are there that no one is accessing because we're all distracted by this is how an online course should be. This is why higher ed is more valuable than online courses and so on. And we're having the same old conversations when really people just want to get paid more. They want to learn the skills. And if we can serve that in a way that no one else is, you're going to win. Well, and it's, I love that. It's kind of the difference between realizing too, this is not, not something everybody can do, but it's kind of the difference in debating politics all day versus running for office. Yes. You know, and saying, you know what, I'm just, I need to put these skills to use yes. rather than talk my neighbor's ear off all day. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. And, and uh, so we won't dive too far down the political spectrum. We actually talked about that up front. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Full but, circle. Yeah, exactly. For real. Um, but it, it, man, this has been such a pleasure. Um, and I really appreciate Absolutely. you coming on. Uh, we've got uh, go, go connect with David Ramos on LinkedIn. You can send him messages on there about research projects. Um, yes. Go check out his newsletter as well. Ramoswriter.com. Fantastic place to go and check it out. We'll put these, of course, in the show notes as well, Vision Pros. I um, mean, just know that, you know, from my perspective in business, from his perspective in business, what you what you will save yourself in terms of time, resources and money by truly looking at what your market needs um, by asking the right questions, finding them all. And then, of course, answering them in ways that people can get from point A to point B, not necessarily point A to point Z, will help you so much with scaling your brand out and building and establishing the authority that David has blessed us to know we need to all be focused on constantly earning with our markets. So, David, thanks so much for being here today. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jackson. This has been fantastic. And I hope everyone listening to this got some value and, and are reminded that you're already on the right track. You just need the data to support that. Absolutely. Vision Pros, you guys have a fantastic rest of your evening. We will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Everybody take care.